Welcome to the Weekly Notebook Review. I am Robert McGrorty. This podcast takes on a bit of a different format where we are live each week on Twitter Spaces. I crack open my notebook and review Hedgeye research with anyone who wants to learn a better way to invest. We feature both Hedgeye power users as well as some special guests that might pop in. If you want to learn more about our research, visit Hedgeye.com. If you'd like to participate in the live stream, follow me on Twitter at HedgeyeRJM. Now, let's review the data. Good afternoon, good afternoon. Apologies for being a minute late here. We're just grabbing a, a spin drift. They're not sponsoring this podcast, but if they'd like to, I'd be happy to talk to them. Right, Kevin? Hey, Robert. Hey, buddy. You ever do you ever drink spin drifts? Uh, yeah, yeah, I do. Um, I'm more of like the uh, club soda, and I just like you know crush up a lime and get it in there. Uh, but but yeah, spin drifts are good. Polar, I mean, polar polar club soda with that's your point. Like whether it has vodka in it or not, um, is just is great. Polar, yeah. Uh, but the Spindrift, they had the uh, the half tea, half lemon. It's uh, pretty darn tasty. It's kind of like a refreshing iced tea. Yeah, uh, I like but, that. Yeah, uh, but we're not really here to talk about my flavors, my, my seltzer preferences, eh, Gavin? We're here to talk the notebook. Uh, so welcome everybody. It is uh, what are we? We're May twenty fourth. Uh, it is a couple days before M- Memorial Day weekend here in the U.S. Uh, for our Canadian friends, hope you guys had a great uh, May two four this past weekend. They they always enjoy, that 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 long weekend's always the the weekend before. Uh, so hope you guys all had a great long weekend and you're back in the saddle, uh, grinding through the notebook. We've definitely uh, a bit of a tale of uh, two stories from kind of uh, Friday, even Monday, uh, going into today here uh, on Wednesday into the close, and as we head into Thursday and the rest of this week. Uh, for anybody who's new to the show or to this uh, spaces session. Uh, you can catch Weekly Notebook Re- Review live via Twitter Spaces. Uh, and then we're obviously uh, doing all the replays uh, via um, podcast channels and, and Hedgeye uh, YouTube as well. But uh, the whole concept actually, uh, Gavin, um, so I'm thrilled you're able, it works with your schedule that you can join uh, here this afternoon. Uh, but really, Gavin and I back in the day in, uh, what was it, November of 2021. So it uh, feels like yesterday, Gavin, but we were kind of on Twitter, just going back and forth, sharing some things that we were seeing out there on the screen, uh, some kind of commentary that we were kind of making, right, in terms of uh, signal shifts or signals improvements, weakness, that kind of thing. And and Spaces was pretty new, so we decided, uh, I threw out the idea of jumping on Spaces together, and um, we just kind of ended up chatting through verbally what we were sharing via Twitter and tweets, and uh, that's really snowballed into this uh, weekly session, and uh, we, we, we kind of, uh, help Hedgeye Nation go through, uh, go through their no- notebooks. So reviewing kind of the weekend work, how things have transitioned, uh, here midweek and then setting up for, you know, next week, next month, next quarter, uh, you know, next cycle, really kind of being aware of that as well. But, um, with that, why don't we kind of dive right into it? Gavin, a l- little bit of momentum there to the downside today. Yeah. In, uh, in stocks. In the U.S. equities, yeah. In yeah. U.S. US equities, e- yeah. U.S. equities. Yeah, but, um, th- for one sure. Of the yeah. Se- yeah, one of the interesting setups, though, on my side, and again, I'll, I'll kind of pass you pass you the ball here, but um, the, uh, this the U.S. Treasury is kind of an interesting setup in my mind, uh, or kind of a fixed income in general. It's it certainly has backed off. It's gone neutral trend on the board uh, in terms of uh, the risk range this morning, higher low, higher high. Uh, 
so those all kind of are telling you the signal's kind of moving higher, but um, it's it's an interesting setup. So I think, anyway, I just want to kind of lobby you that one on the fixed income side first. And don't know if you've added any back into your portfolio. I actually did dabble on uh, a minimum position, 150 basis points mm-hmm. in uh, TLT the, this afternoon going into the close. Uh, but that's really my first entry into fixed income in a really long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so Yeah, well, that's yeah, that's an interesting one. I was, You know what? I was thinking about one of our old conversations, probably like a 2022 early or I, I don't know. Maybe it was even 21. I don't know. But um just thinking about, um, you know, kind of rank ordering the asset classes. And um, yeah, I was thinking, you know, fixed income for me is, um, is and, and gold, wherever, you know, hedge, I, you know, we consider it a currency, but wherever you want to kind of put mm-hmm. that or what it's trading with, if it's trading with rates or whatever it is. So it's kind of like fixed income. It's kind of like a hybrid, I guess. But um, fixed income and gold this year is really where I've been focused on trying to be correct. And I think what's most interesting is I've been tracking, um, I guess maybe I track correlation a a bit different and I don't even know, remember I'm an artist like making up math in Excel. So, um, you know, obviously take everything I say with a grain of salt. Right. But I'm tracking these correlations and noticing, you know, obviously stocks and bonds were positively correlated for a while. And, um, I've just, you know, over the last couple of months started to, to finally see, you know, all of it kind of moving to, I think I tweeted this yesterday, more of like a, a risk off, like classic air quotes, what people would consider a more risk off environment. And so I think it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how stocks and bonds kind of trade, you know, together or off of each other. Um, and uh, yeah, and so, yeah, we, we actually do have, you know, a position um, in like the belly of the curve. Um, and it's not, you know, as big as it could be, but it's, uh, you know, it's a position. Um, and so, you know, we, uh, have been short, we were short stocks twice this year and, um, mm-hmm. I'm, I, so I wasn't short the past two days, um, you know, which would I have liked to be, of course, like if you look at the market like that, you're always like, well, I wish I was this. And that's just not the way to do it. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, you know, in that, that idea, shorting stocks, uh, were profitable on that idea using capital, um, in that way. Uh, and we're slightly ahead of the risk-free rate doing that. And so I think, you know, which is how I've been kind of looking at everything. Um, because, you know, we have T bills like, the majority are um, in August right now, and they're paying, you know, over 5%. Um, so, you know, ballpark 40 basis points of, um, of yield a month. So, um, yeah, I, I just uh, have been focused on fixed income. So I, I'm glad you brought that up. And I think um, some of the strongest ideas this year which, um, you know, I think will kind of present themselves and maybe they're beginning to, um, will be in fixed income. So, and so getting all the way back to what I said about asset class, you know, it's like in, in this environment, what is like the top, like what's the most important asset class to look at? And I would argue it's probably fixed income and gold, like to get right where like maybe, 
like the big trade of the year will be. And I know maybe some people don't think like that, but I'm always kind of thinking about what that big theme is going to be. So anyway, yeah. Fixed income. Yeah. I throw, I throw dollar in there as well. Yeah. Um, but I think those three are, are all very intertwined regardless <laughs> in terms of, you know, um, certainly right now you've got a U.S. dollar gold inverse correlation, which is, uh, yeah, so that's, that's, that's one thing to be cognizant about that, that, that bad boy shot right back up to kind of, uh, uh, to very deep inverse correlation. I think it's, uh, it was around 90, uh, or just north of, of minus uh, 0.9 or 0.91, I believe it was, uh, yesterday. So I was traveling this morning, so didn't actually get a chance to, to write that piece down, but I'll come, uh, I'll come grab that one second where I'll get the actual number for you. Yeah, no, but I, I, um, I agree with you. Yeah, dollar gold has been yeah, point, uh, interesting. Point nine, point nine two. Yeah, so point nine two is that you know that dollar gold inverse correlation on the fixed income side. Yeah, I mean I think it's it's definitely uh, getting all of those three right. I mean it flows through to global macro. I mean that's really what we're all you know what we're here to talk about, right? And so you know if you get the fixed income side right, you you, you can definitely oftentimes you're getting the dollar right, and you're certainly getting you know the rates trade rate with uh, with, with well real rates, right? Like gold has a um, you know, has a high correlation as well with, uh, with, uh, with real rates. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, it's, it's definitely, I think that's the big focus from, you know, we're, we're about halfway through, you know, Q, Q2. And I know you, you prefer kind of thinking in things in, in regards to sort of, uh, quarters, like a, like a, like a game of football or, or what have you, but, uh, um, yeah. you know, even though, you know, I, I sometimes probably am more on a day to day or certainly week, weekly is more kind of my, my uh my time frame kind of getting the week nice. right i think if you can get the i think if you can get the week right you can uh you really compound um over over the course of the whole you know season but that's um, a good point it's nice short, to have that weekend to kind of evaluate what just happened and going into the next week i mean yeah i like that that kind of yeah. time frame as well yeah yeah but definitely you know again i mean from a from a, a, a hedge eye perspective, I mean the the quad four environment. You know those are three big pieces of of quad four, right? I mean the dollar is, is really uh, you know back tests very positively in quad four, and it's the only quad that it does so. Uh, and then can, can, you know in in conjunction, you know gold also functions quite well in quad four and, and quad three, uh, but certainly quad four and and typically you know rates or, or, or fixed income, um, you know same thing, right? So it all backs up, and, and I think that's you know one of the big things so you know makes sense that you're looking at you know fixed income or, or you know rates and and gold in terms of this environment and uh again just to echo kind of keith from the macro show this morning mm-hmm. uh if you kind of take your attention away from from tech and certainly what i'll call the elite eight he, he named it what magnet magnet today yeah, it, 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 it was pretty mag, long mag, mag, <laughs> MAGA hands, yes, yeah. yeah. but basically, you know, um, I, I've been kind of, you know, just doubling at the Elite Eight, which is Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Meta, Google, Netflix, uh, Tesla, and NVIDIA. And so, so yes, but, but my point is, is that the, you know, if you kind of take your attention away from that, you're getting a lot of, you know, the, the core signals are, are telling you, you know, a quad four is upon us. You're getting... You know, commodities are down, uh, cyclicals and financials are down, REITs are down in terms of U.S. equities. You're getting, um, you know, Europe is starting to, certainly other than the DAX, you know, Europe is starting to, uh, you know, price in their economic data and 
and really, I think for a time there, they're probably you know buoyed by the China, Chinese quad one. Uh, but China's certainly uh, rolling over. It looks like they're going to get a, another quad four on the board. And so, yeah, you know, it's just it's all these pieces are are kind of if you look beyond beyond just the uh, the scope of of kind of like tech and, and U.S. equities, you're you're getting a lot of signals that are are telling you quad four is is certainly um, on the horizon. Or or uh, to echo the sinkhole analogy, is is sort of brewing underneath the surface. Yeah. And you know this last this fixed income side, I think. This, the ten year again, you know whether it's noise around uh, the debt ceiling and, and that kind of stuff, and, and you, you know one one of the many reasons why you and I get along quite well is we don't really we, we don't focus on the narrative of, uh, much at all, and, and it's much more about the signals and that kind of stuff. And um, you know I think it's it's interesting to see uh, you know what you're seeing in terms of uh, the recent move in the ten year and thirty year back to neutral from bearish, uh, while the two years obviously maintained its bullish uh, momentum. So you know what that's showing again is that you know the the fed is likely higher for longer and now you know what the market's trying to figure out is trying to figure out this recession risk and and you know whether it's actually rising you know we're of the you know we're of the opinion that recession risk is absolutely rising and that's what you should be risk managing for uh but you know that 10 year at the moment and, and the longer end of the curve is is not it's not necessarily reading that uh, factor, mm-hmm. right? So uh, it'll be interesting to see who's. Uh, I think as we go out in time, we're going to figure out who's uh, who's right and who's yeah. wrong. Yeah, no, I, I, that's a good uh, point too. And I think one of the most interesting things I saw going down today, I guess maybe it was because of the Fed minutes or whoever knows. I, I do pay attention quite close to all what you would normally think of as like the narrative, but I'm just always looking at where I think. I might get an inflection in price that I would, you know, deem good enough to really, you know, transact at, you know? So it's like, I'm just always thinking it in terms of maybe what other people might be thinking. But um, I thought was what was interesting yeah. today is that the cut that was priced on Fed fund. Can you hear me still? Uh, you're back now, yeah. So the, the, All right, the sorry. Call, was priced in on the Fed funds. That's yeah, good. call was coming in, sorry. Um, for November, um, you know, as of this morning, pre-market, um, you know, there was a 25 basis point cut sitting there in November, and intraday that priced out, which exactly what you just said, what I've been thinking too, just higher for longer. Um, it also, they started to price a 25 slightly, you know, basis point hike in July, which I don't really... I don't really care about like I just don't think you know and maybe I'm wrong and, I, and to your point you'll just kind of take the signal as it comes but like how much more can they really do I think they've probably done all they really can and it's more about I think Keith has said this um, about seeing those those cuts for the rest of the year starting to get priced out and you're just going to have this and that's what just happened today like another month so now they're saying well maybe a cut in December the market but the Fed is still saying, well, we're not cutting this year. So, um, yeah, higher for longer, you know. It's, um, But, uh, th- yeah, that was interesting today. And I think, you know, depends how you look at it. But I do think your call out on the dollar is uh, is interesting. And, and on my tracking, it's like this is the longest period of um, a moderate inverse correlation uh, between the dollar and gold. And I would say... 
you know, I've been watching this because I do have a gold position, this counter trend move in gold. And I'd say it's a very moderate counter trend move so far, which is kind of, um, you know, to be expected when you're seeing the dollar, you know, kind of showing, showing a bit of strength. So I think ultimately it's going to be positive if, you know, the dollar and gold can be, you know, longs together. So we'll see, we'll see if we get there, but you know, maybe yeah. over the next couple months. No, exactly. And, and in terms of, you know, just to, I guess, bring home that the like fed, you know, the, the, the rate cuts that are being, you know, quasi priced out, I guess, um, of the, of expectations. Uh, I mean, our nowcast model, which was updated on Monday, it's it's forecast, and I've talked about this before, but but it's forecasting basically, you know, four four point two six uh, for this quarter in Q two, and then it dropped to three point five seven in Q three, but really, you know, staying kind of right around that three five number, you know, goes kind of three three spot four six and three spot four seven in Q four of twenty three and Q one of twenty four, respective respectfully. Uh, but so to, to to round it out, let's just call it four and a quarter this quarter, and then three and a half basically for the next three. Uh, that's significantly higher than than one the Fed Fed's uh, communicated you know uh, target for inflation of two percent, and then you know consensus estimates in Q Q one to twenty four are all the way down to two spot four uh, eight four. So you know there's a big delta there between us and them, and, and we, we get that as well in the back half of the year, uh, as uh, in addition to so in, in Q four as well. So I think that's going to be again. I mean inflation certainly the story of last year recession risk rising is the story of this year. I've said that you know we've said that you know time and time again. Uh, but that inflationary number will be, I think, will will be a factor as we keep moving out in space. And, you know, what happens with, you know, does oil continue to, to, to break down, right? Or does it kind of, you know, sort of catch some form of a of a bid here around the, the, you know, the $70 level, right? So, or 70, whatever, wherever we close 75, I think it was something like that, but it th- doesn't really matter. But my point is, is like, you know, you know, what, what happens, right? And like the oil is the second largest piece that, that, you know, makes up CPI. So it's a huge component and one that I'm watching very, very closely. Uh, we had, it's been some pretty interesting price action on the oil side. You know, we've had some higher lows and some, some lower highs uh, the last you know couple of days, but the higher low, in particular, I mean, it was 69.65 uh, yesterday. Uh, we got 69.60 today, so a bit of a lower, lower low this morning. Um, but that uh, that top end of the risk range uh, really was a big time higher high uh, from day over day at 74.48 versus 73 spot 45 yesterday. Uh, so again, I mean, keep keeping on that those the the OVX oil volatility has also uh, come come down. So we're down at. Uh, I only get today's number, so I'm not misquoting. One second. These were yesterday's. Where we land on OVX today? <clears throat> uh, OVX about the same spot, so about 35, right? Which is, uh, you know, which is which is down last couple of days. So I think it's it's definitely, um, you know, keeping an eye on on oil volatility, oil price, what it's doing. That all flows through into into you know expected inflationary numbers. Uh, it's one of many pieces of the puzzle that that impacts our our nowcast and that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, the growth is certainly the bigger component and the the factor that we're um, paying you know a lot more attention to at, the, at this point in time. Because again, we think kind of inflation is like last year's story or pre- prepping for that. We think the recession risk is much more uh, the um, the next phase of this sort of like phase three of the bear market. And 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 again, you know, just to echo your point, Gavin. You know, I think you're going to see that play out. 
in across like those three key asset classes of, of, of US dollar, or just call it FX. Uh, you're already seeing like the euro break down, the yen, you know, USD, JPY, or sort of the, so the yen's breaking down, the dollar's breaking out. Um, even the pound uh, is moving to neutral and the Canadian dollar remains uh, against the USD remains uh, bearish. So, you know, you're seeing the FX, the fixed income side, and then um, and then the, uh, the dollar, comp- or sorry, the uh, gold component. Hi, I'm Keith McCullough, and I wanted to introduce you to my favorite product at Hedgeye, the Macro Show. Why is it my favorite product? Well, it's my show. I do that every morning. If you want to get ready for the market day, you want to contextualize all the data, you want to make good decisions, then this is what you should be watching. It's a repeatable process that you can deliberately study, measuring and mapping, time series to time series of data. So it's not going headline to headline and getting whipped around. It's actually being so much more dispassionate about it and making good decisions that are data driven. So we'd love to have you on our team. Come join us. Tune in weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern and on demand anytime. Go to hedgeye.com slash research to subscribe. Definitely. Yeah. Right. I, yeah. Sure. Does, yeah. Does, uh, there's some other people. Brian, I saw Brian. I saw Brian. I jumped up. What's up, Brian? How you doing? Muni guy. Hey Robert, how are you, bud? I'm doing very well. Doing very well. Yeah, just I heard, uh, I heard you say my two favorite words: fixed income. <laughs> hey Brian, <laughs> yeah, you did. yeah you did. Gavin, what's up, man? Yeah, we could talk fixed income. It's it's sexy. I tell you, come on. I tell you, it's uh, you know it's just getting interesting again here. Uh, it's been boring actually for a little while, but uh, last few days it's gotten a little interesting. So I put um. Robert, you saw I put out that. Uh, I did. I'll uh, go find it. Yeah, while you chat. Reply to um. Yeah, I put up reply to your um, your space and put up uh four different um, uh, graphicals. So first um, well first, you know nothing is uh is financial advice. Make your own decisions. Do your own due diligence. But um, so I on my CD tracking. Um, once again, we're seeing a bunch of five and a quarters. Monthly pay one year, really can't get past one year. Saw some 530s, but they weren't call protected. Um, so if you're playing in that CD space uh, and you're in a tax deferred account, you know, the monthly pay is nice because you get the, the, the monthly income and then you can drip it into some other type of, um, of, of investment plan unless you need the income for um, you know, some, some life purpose. But uh, uh, those are back. So it's been a while since we've really seen monthly pay CDs. And we've, uh, you know, we went sub five for a period of time. So uh, banks are, um, and, and I should say some of the names are a little bit odd names that I'm seeing too. I, I put up uh, a few posts here and there when I see a block of various CDs come from some odd name banks that are um, raising cash. But uh uh, five and a quarter monthly, one year is the best that I'm seeing right now. And if you're in a taxable account, don't get caught up in the yield sometimes because, you know, if you're paying 30% in taxes, five and a quarter nets you 3.675. So make sure you're aware of your taxable equivalent yield and your after-tax rate. So I put a, I put up, and in, Robert, you should have it up in the nest. I put up the exact CD um, that I saw on Fidelity. Um, out of Indiana that um, that met this uh, monthly pay longest term of one year. Then uh, number two, so SIFMA. So I put up SIFMA. SIFMA reset higher today. Um, so SIFMA is what 
it's a it's what is used to leverage municipal bond funds. Um, so it's just as a recap for anyone that's new, it's the seven day weekly tax exempt rate. And so when SIFMA goes higher, that means the leverage within these funds doesn't work as well. And so we're starting to see a little bit of a of a squeeze again as SIFMA moves higher. Will be interesting to see how SIFMA reacts as we continue to move closer to um, the next Federal Reserve meeting. You know, right now it seems like people are kind of focused on we're you know we're we're going to pause or we're not going to hike. But we've seen this song and dance play many many times before. It feels very political. Feels very you know set up whatever they can get away with in a way. So I wouldn't bank on knowing one way or the other which way it's going to go until, you know, it gets closer. And um, but just keep an eye on, on on SIFMA or I'll keep tweeting it out now that it's moving higher again. And it does put pressure on the, uh, the leverage side of bond funds. Um, and then third, which is probably most important to um, what I'm looking at, um, in full disclosure, uh, I put up a Graves County School District, Kentucky deal. Um, my firm represents that school district, so it is our deal. We sold it today. Um, it had an A1 underlying rating, and then it's a school bond. So it has the state intercept program, which is also rated A1. And uh, I put up the uh, interest rates from year one all the way out to um, the 20-ish. I don't have it in front of me. Let me pull it up real quick. Here it is. Oh, I just had it. Um, so in 2024, which is basically a one year, um, the yield came in at a 395. So if you're not a resident of Kentucky and you're in the highest tax bracket, you would divide it by one minus 37%, which is 0.63. So that's a taxable equivalent yield of a 6.27. So that would be a better rate, right, than a one-year CD at a five and a quarter. So that's one way to look at it. Um, I haven't really seen a, a 395 handle on a really kind of a 12-month municipal bond. So was a little bit taken aback by that, but I was really taken aback by the 2048s. So <clears throat> in 25 years, this is the first time that I've seen a, um, a over a 450. So you have a 450 coupon to yield a 455 for a dollar price of, you know, just, just above, um, 99. So for context, a 455 single tax free, um, same math divided by 0.63. I put it on the page. That's a 7.22% taxable equivalent yield. Um, that is getting to a point in which I think um, it's impactful and it um, could pull money away from equities to the extent that you are a hold to maturity. Um, I don't think it'll go to maturity. It'll be called in 10 years, be my guess, as the Fed continues to do its destruction path. But that being said, um, a 722, you know, on a, a risk-adjusted basis when you're looking at the risk and equities, it's a pretty attractive return. And so I am uh, I am unable to buy this bond because my firm represents the issuer, but um, this is a bond that, you know, would meet the criteria that I would be looking for. I did that one space where I talked about um, buying the long bond, but 
playing the odds that you would be refinanced at the 10-year mark. And so this bond at a 450 coupon has a very high probability of being refinanced uh, at the um, 10-year mark at a par call. So um, pretty attractive rates. The other piece of this is in the secondary market, I have a search parameters uh, for these types of bonds. And this will be tomorrow uh, when it, I'm assuming they're not done. So they'll show up on uh, Muni Center, which is where dealers trade and Muni Center will flow through into Fidelity's fixed income platform. But this bond won't show up there because it hasn't settled yet. They only show settled bonds in Fidelity. Um, but this will put pressure on all the other bonds that are out there. And maybe three to four weeks ago, I put up a, a tweet that there was very few bonds that met my search parameters available. And today we had 54 um, individual offerings today. So um, 54 is a lot. There are deals, two in particular, uh, a Madison, which is a, a AA3 credit here. And there was a Garrett that came uh, non-rated, but it was insured, double-A insured. Both those deals really aren't getting done. They're just sitting there. So um, I'm seeing some pressure in the secondary market to get uh, bonds moved. And really, that just creates an opportunity. Um, it doesn't happen. I shouldn't say that. It has not happened with extreme frequency here over the last uh, three, I'll call it four quarters. But it has happened in pockets. And just by way of example that I talked about before, um, I started buying uh, bonds at a four and a quarter yield. And the highest yielding uh, bond that met my search parameter that I purchased in sort of a, a Q4 distress scenario was a small odd lot at a 490, sort of same credits. So um, you can see coming, you know, the primary market at 455 really up to those levels that I would call meaningful, very impactful to kind of the, um, you know, what people are uh, looking for in terms of uh, having a positive impact in, in uh, you know, what you can purchase with. And then lastly, um, I've been tracking that fund BMN. Uh, what I like about the fund is that it's a target term, so it ends in 2037. Uh, it is the prospectus when you read it, it is – supposed to be leveraged but when they debuted the fund in q4 of last year sifma was high they didn't want to put the leverage on so it's sitting unleveraged right now um the 490 uh um whoever is front running me stop it i i i would like for the rest of my my order to be filled at a, at a 2490 please um but in all seriousness uh the distribution rate is a 452 pays monthly and I put there too at a 452, uh, 37% tax bracket, the um, the taxable equivalent yield is 717. So, uh, what I like about this fund is the the credits look decent for me. I don't really like fund credits, but they just happen to come at a time in which decent credits were um, available for fund purposes. Markets were being very choosy, so you didn't have a lot of speculative deals uh, coming out. And to me, this is just kind of like a dumb luck fund. It just it came out at the right time where it's something that I would own. But in full disclosure, this is not a, a hold to maturity position for me. I am building up a very sizable position in this, but I do intend to trade it. 
Um, I'll keep the income for as long as I can. But uh, I think that, you know, when we get the labor shock and rates drop, I will probably dump this, you know, at hopefully maybe $26 a share. Um, we'll just kind of have to see what it plays out. But um, now, Brian, quick question. Really, yeah. Yeah. On the, uh, on the piece where you said a couple deals are sitting, not getting done, pressure in the secondary market. If I remember correctly, and you said that may, may not have happened in the last three or four quarters, but I think you kind of outlined conditions like that. It might have been almost like a year ago now. It could have been like, I don't know, Q1 of 22. Um, is that correct? Like where you're, mm-hmm. you're seeing that kind of pressure again? Yeah, and the, the, the pressures were different for the reasons. Um, I think early on, I think it was, Gavin, it was kind of multiple times, right? So the Fed started... Uh, raising rates, and you you had this problem in these leveraged funds where they owned these very low coupon bonds, and they had to do all this tax harvest selling. So they were rotating that inventory out and then buying four and five coupon bonds because they saw what the Fed was going to do, and they got to run leveraged, right? So if SIFMA rises, you can't be underwater. So 2% coupon bond when SIFMA is sitting at a 341 today, you're underwater. A three coupon bond versus a three forty one that SIFMA, you're underwater. You know, if you got a four coupon bond, you got fifty nine basis points of leverage, but that's not a, uh, a whole lot. And if you got a five coupon bond, you got a you know one hundred fifty nine basis points of leverage, which, quite honestly, is really not a lot when you just went through this very long QE period. Um, um, so I think that at different points there's been some distress in terms of getting deals done. But as things continue to unfold in the playbook, um, people getting through that tax harvest um, selling, um, I'm sorry, uh, rotating out because of the, the leverage piece. A, that was a, that was a piece. There was just a distress piece towards the end of the year where we saw everything sort of go down at once. If you remember when like Q's bottomed out, like 260 triple Q did. Yeah, uh, and well, then, I'm and thinking more of a, like the high yield trade when, where it started to really be like a slam dunk short. Um, I'll have to, I'm, I'm going to look back at all my notes. Are you thinking more corporate or you? Yeah, no, just across the whole, you know, the whole thing, uh, looking at where all the yields are, but. Um, no, it just made me think of last last year, and I I always like connecting dots. Maybe there's nothing there, but um, it was just interesting when you said that. So thanks for the the explanation on SIFMA and everything. Yeah, no problem, no problem. But yeah, yeah. So Q two, I think we started with the with the issue that the Fed was raising rates, SIFMA was going up, and all these funds had to unload their low coupon bonds. That was a whole process within itself. Uh, and then I think we had this unknown of where rates were headed. Um, then I think you had this credit concern, right? And then I think now what we're seeing is uh, a rise in rates that people just kind of aren't, just they're not really prepared for or seeing. It's happening. And I there was this Madison deal that sold. I was actually looking to buy some of it at four and a quarter. It came at 411 I didn't buy it, and I saw it sitting out there today. I think at a four thirty. So the underwriter that bought it hasn't even sold the bonds; they're underwater. And I think there's going to be more of that because if Graves came today, and I'm only just talking about Kentucky, if Graves comes today at a four fifty five and forty eight, 
And those bonds, just say, you know, there's 4.3 million of them. So let's just say 2 million of them show up on the street tomorrow for, you know, out for the bid. What is that going to do to everything that's underneath that? And, you know, you can get caught real quick. Um, They will eventually get done. These will get done because they're all high grade credit. They're not speculative, but, you know, they're, we're in this little period of time where I see there's opportunities. Now, if you, if you believe that rates are going to go even higher from here, then that's a different stance. But my view on rates has always been what makes sense. And um, a 722 taxable equivalent yield versus being in equities is a pretty compelling argument for me. Um, and I again, I think it just makes sense. I saw the 30-year today hit about 4%. And I know for a lot of people that makes some sense. And then the last piece I'll say is thinking forward, if the Fed does pivot, then what does that do to leverage? So if you have a 4%, if you locked in a 4% on a 30-year, and then you can leverage it 24 months from now, it's a pretty nice leverage play to have, right? So I think that there's a lot of different dynamics that will come into play as leverage comes back. And I think we're getting... Um, I'm not going to say closer to that point, but I think there's more clarity that it will come and it will be a very gloomy, dark period to get through, but it will come. And I think people um, who play in this space see the long game as opposed to the short game. That's, that's all I got, Robert. Yeah, <clears throat> no, I appreciate that update. It was awesome. I was just, I was just, uh, Taking it all in, Brian. There's a lot to go. Uh, you go over a lot, man, and your, your knowledge is quite quite robust, to say the least. So, as always, really appreciate you uh, sharing your thoughts and sharing the updates and, and uh, walking everybody through it in Hedge Nation so in terms of like what uh, what you're seeing out there in muni space because it's one that um, it, it's it's quite important and can can play as you said a really uh, depending on where you are in life um, or it doesn't really matter where you are in life, but uh, it can p- play a very you know it can play a very impactful role inside of uh, portfolio construction and that was uh one of one topic i wanted to get to today uh so yeah so that's really helpful man sure and kudos to you on the uh i saw your bab tweet so uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, like that and then um uh just uh, out in the listeners um you know i'm a i'm an idiot when it comes to options and i'm an idiot when it comes to equities but i um, just want to give a thanks to uh mike taylor for um responding to a message i had on some puts that i owned and helping me through that so I'll leave it there. Mike T. Oh, there he is. I didn't. Sorry. Sometimes I don't check the phone. Yeah, um, I appreciate his up? help on that. I was. I didn't know Taylor? what I was doing. I didn't know what I was uh, doing, and he helped me out. So I appreciate it. That's great. Uh, Mike Taylor's the best. Mike Taylor's always. Uh, he's a man of the people. He's a troglodyte like all of us, just trying to uh, execute the highest level. And uh, uh, you know what is it? Hashtag pay yourself, right? So just make sure that you're. Uh, doing that um i mean that's the biggest thing with options and i'm packing myself i didn't uh sell more of my q puts now that i'm seeing um the nvidia print and the fact that it's trading up at 336 but hey it is what it is um i'll just add more add more if it if we open up here at 336 it's gonna be freaking awesome uh you always get another chance robert right always always and, and if it's not q's it's something else it just oh yeah oh yeah there's always another shot oh yeah Hey, uh, Brian. What's up, Mike? Hey, how you doing, guys? Good, Good to be here. Hey, Mike. Sorry. 
Hey, Mike. I literally have a mouthful of soup when you hit that. All right. So, so I'm just a goddamn pig. All right. <laughs> so, uh, Brian, uh, well, what advice did I give you on options? Because I'm certain it was wrong. So. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't <laughs> advice. First of all, Mike. No, I was uh, never advice. I had sent you advice. a message because I shorted uh, First Republic. Oh, I remember puts. that. You were totally right. And that. I. And I was I was literally in the Atlantic Ocean on the cruise ship, and the market was closing, and I didn't know what the hell to do. And I so I just sent you that message. It was like, oh, it's not advice, but right. what did most people do? And you were like, headaches. And, and so I actually got on the phone, called Fidelity, and said, get me the hell out of this thing. I netted like 70% in 24 that's hours, good. so I was pretty excited about yeah, it. Yeah, because I remember now distinctly because you were, you know, sometimes when you have an option bet on, you have to think about what you're really betting on, right? And like, for instance, <clears throat> I have an option bet on today on uh, bearishly positioned on snow. And I think that the rest of their year is going to be an absolute disaster. And I'm betting on that people are going to see that. But I was also betting on, you know, unintentionally that nvidia wouldn't be a total blowout because it'll just lift all the high beta space so that's the whole problem with having options on is that you you frequently are having a lot more bets on than you actually think even though it may be very linear in just one bet you know you're betting that in the case of the banks that some senator doesn't come out somewhere and say we need to save this bank like that's what you're actually betting on uh and sometimes it's not terribly clear but that that was a great trade. Kudos, hats off to you. And I remember my 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 commentary on it. I bet I said, "Well, you're betting that the bank goes away tomorrow." That's what right. And I, yeah, that's, that's what you told me. And and I had us. I had like seven days left on it. And you're like, "It's not going to be." You know, you're you're, I mean, you're you're you'd be lucky that, if it trades on the pink sheets, and then you can get out. And and it just wasn't worth it when you you know, kind of work through all the math. It's just move on and and, and rotate yeah, you book it. Into something else. book it and walk and that's yep. the, honestly that's the hardest that's, thing to do on a winner the hardest yeah yeah and robert you actually told me that same thing earlier in the day you were like <laughs> you were it like, sounds like it sounds like exactly <laughs> what i told you <laughs> you did I, I i needed mike i needed mike to tell me though I, I appreciate it robert no offense but I was I didn't know oh, what to damn. do. I was I was all discombobulated and I was excited, but I was discombobulated. So well, you made my day. No offense, you made Robert. my day that I actually said something that was helpful and assisted you, and I really am pleased. So thank you. Hey Taylor, thank do you. you know that Snowflake's down like twenty two dollars after hour? Yeah, I do. It should be it okay. should be down it should be down twenty five percent, not twelve. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just, oh, I, it, I just it, didn't know. It, if you, I didn't know if you it's just, a freaking disaster. Oh, no. no, I made money on it. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I just take as much as I. <clears throat> but we'll see what happens tomorrow when the, you know, when the vanilla guys have to get in there and say, well, what do I own? Like, is this going to turn around this year? The answer is no effing way. It's going to get worse all year because the number of seats and licenses that they're selling, in my view, is going to go down all year as all these companies, except for the ones involved with AI, are going to be laying people off hand over fist throughout the year. So, and that's that's Snow's business is cheap seats. Yep. So, so Mike, let me ask you this. And so you're on here. So let's the debt ceiling. So I saw that McCarthy <laughs> came out and 
put out, you know, some stupid comment about, you know, the market shouldn't be worried as if, you know, that does anything. Um, how do you see this playing out? Have your opinions changed or have you heard anything today? Holy shit, John Lavoring is back. I'm just looking at CNBC right now. I got it muted. I haven't seen this guy in years. He disappeared for a while. He's back. Okay. Dude, he's always bullish, um, of course. And so on the debt ceiling, um, no deal. There will be no deal. And we're going to go into extended innings. That's what's going to happen. Ooh. So the call out that Yellen is, is, um, hasn't been, or has been less than truthful. Oh, in, Total in bullshit. The- no, okay, so they're, they're going to call her innings. out. It's going into June, in my view. Oof. Yeah, okay. it's going into June, maybe all the way into July. So how does that? So tax receipts come in mid June. Is yeah. that right? You were talking about this last night, Mike. I didn't get to go on there, but I, yeah, I listened to your playback. Come in, and she can also continue. She can raid the pension funds if she needs to, so she can keep going for like two more months, pretty uh, probably two more months, and they can delay payments um, out. Not on their bonds, but they can delay payments to vendors, stuff like that. So they can probably get another thirty days out of that. So they got a they got a lot of she has a lot of levers that she can pull and uh and and, and slow purchases uh by the government, stuff like that. So yeah, you know, they actually have to run themselves like a business for once, you know. So that's what they'll do. Uh it'll go to the very bitter and nasty end and we'll see if the uh House Speaker is going to be able to keep a seat because, you know, there is a cabal in there that has the incentive to drag this out to a point where there's no deal. And this guy loses his, uh, his uh, you know, the Speaker of the House position. So, um, and I, they want that. So that's why it's going to drag out. They're going to say no to everything. Um. Oh, so you think you think there's a war? Biden at all want this? They want to pressure him for the well. Then you just ruin the Republicans, right? Because they're going to be in disarray. Uh, We're going to have another, you know, unseating for power grab, and they have to make a decision here: is that do they want this speaker, or or do they want to stymie the Republican Party and start a war within their faction? And of course, they want to do that. Because that will hurt their uh, pack dollars, you know, the dollars they can raise. So they want to make them look bad. So they'll go through every length to blame it on them and then have an in-house fighting, a change of the speaker. I mean, a whole big mess. And I fully expect that. So, and that's why I, that's very good that's why I haven't bought the, uh, the two-year. Because, you know, you're already seeing bonds getting sold. In, uh, in a bit of a panic, a little bit. You know, hey, why do we own this? All right, well, let's sell some. And nobody's buying. And nobody will buy until after. So I'll buy the day before. And I just don't know which day it is yet. But uh, when I do, I'll do another thing on this. I'll do a uh, twi- Twitter spaces. And I'll say, I think it's tomorrow. So... <clears throat> And hopefully it's not so on a this, weekend, so then I can't really do it with, without any meaning. You know, it's got to be a weekday. But, uh, but I don't expect this to be resolved. In fact, I so switching gears, the 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 space that you did yesterday, the 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 basis of that space was what you heard out of China. Is that correct? Yeah, COVID's back. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> so, and I mean, you know, it's really hard to say like, oh, it makes sense or it doesn't make sense because, you know, they control the news and the, and when I put it together with like enough things breaking, the treasury's the wrong way, China, they're, this is a great out for China because their whole rejuvenation program isn't going as planned because they have a housing bubble that's blowing the hell up and they have, probably have half of their municipalities that are essentially insolvent. Um, it, it just goes on and on and on. And so uh, a COVID outbreak in China would be a fantastic out because then it's not their fault. They could blame it on the U.S. again somehow. So I was like, oh, okay, that's what they're doing. And then when I looked at gilts, like gilts continue to sell off. Um, that's the UK uh, tenure. Um, it's called the gilt. And uh, they're selling off still. So I'm seeing a lot of pressures. And that's why I wanted to do that call because I, I got a, a super duper queasy feeling about how this is all going. And of course, we're on the cusp of jobless claims really starting to ramp. Um, so it's always, you know, I mean, you always see it like a mile away. And of course, the debt ceiling. Um, once that gets negotiated, then an incredible amount of liquidity just starts getting sucked out of the market like forever. So, and it's a lot. I mean, if you do the math, you know, she's she's been plowing in about $200 billion a month now for the past two and a half, three months. And before that was about 100. And it went to 200 billion because the tax receipts really stink. Um, and that's probably because of cap gains issues, especially around properties. You know, there's no transactions that are happening. So uh, all those cap gains are not going to happen and blah, blah, blah. So so once that reverses, though, what it's going to feel like is she has to, well, she has to issue $200 billion a month to keep it flat. And then she has to basically uh, lift up the balance sheet that she has to work with. And you already saw a heads up on what she's going to do moving forward. She's so worried about how much she's going to have to pay out that she's already. And this is all the Treasury. This isn't even the Fed. This is the Treasury. The Treasury has announced they're going to do an Operation Twist. Do you know that? No, I hadn't yeah, heard that yeah, 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 yeah. Well, she said it like this. Well, we're a little bit worried about the liquidity being available on the long end of the yield curve. So we're just going to buy that stuff and reissue new debt. That is an operation twist. That was like uh, two or three weeks ago. Very quietly announced, we're just going to do that. So, so just you know, keep that in the back of your mind and that she's worried about financing the government moving forward. And not, not because of the debt ceiling, but because of how much debt they have to come with. So you got $200 billion. And then she has to re-up the balance sheet. And that's going to be another $1 to $200 billion a month for the remainder of the year. So it's going to feel like about two to $300 billion a month of quantitative tightening between what the Fed's doing and what the Treasury's doing. And that starts as soon as this debt ceiling comes off. That's amazing. That's stunning. Do you agree? Do you think there's enough liquidity out there to absorb? Um, that's that's been po posed to me. Uh, um, that's a great question, um, and I have two 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 answers to it. 
because yes, but it's going to require the economy freaking implodes, which I think is going to happen. So then they'll always rush to treasuries. Okay. So you got the liquidity. And the other part is, well, wait a minute, the debt ceiling. We're still stuck with the debt ceiling. Yeah, we're going to get rid of it now. But how much are they going to raise the debt ceiling? If they raise the debt ceiling a whopping $2 trillion, we're going to be right back here again in one queue of next year, in an election year. Hi, Robert McGordy here, Director of Subscriber Development at Hedgeye. Hope you're enjoying our podcast. Start generating alpha with our suite of Sector Pro investing research products. Dive deep into retail, industrials, technology, and everything in between with exclusive access to the sharpest analysts and actionable ideas on Wall Street. Go to hedgeye.com forward slash research to subscribe. Enjoy the rest of this episode. Because we're going to blow through $2 trillion between about now and 1Q of next year based upon the current tax receipts and how it's going. So. Yeah, I'm trying to find... um... Uh, I got a, a, a message back from a question I asked um, uh, Quill Intelligence, and my recollection, I'm trying to find it, was that uh, New York, I don't know if it's the city or the state, but they're they're down 40% on collections, which would compute to about 8% decrease on the federal side. Mm. I'm trying to find it, but that was, that was a response that I had to a question I had, and I saw that and was like, whoa, that's a big number. That's a big number from, because I'm in the municipal space, it's a big number on a state-specific you know, buying of, of municipal bonds, but then it's a big number for the federal side. Mike Green called me up a week or two ago and said, uh, do you realize that all these states are going to blow the hell up? And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, the tax receipts are a disaster. So... <sighs> I mean, we're kind of at a very, very difficult spot, a horrifically difficult spot. And that if you look back over the past 10 years of federal borrowing, you know, we have just taken it to the moon and beyond. And this is the beginning of the problem where the natural market has difficulty lending us this much money. And so great question about, you know, will the demand be there? Um, the problem, well, you know, uh, I mean, in, in a horrible economy, yes, but we may see as soon as that turns and we go to quantitative easing or something like that, you may see an unbelievable steepening of the yield curve, like like crazy. Um, so there, there's going to be incredible trades to be had, but this uh, this debt problem is now a big problem, a big, big, big problem, because we you know, we've ramped our debt beyond comprehension and the money supply. Mm-hmm. So. Hey, well, Brian. I guess hey, Bri- two, two things. Brian, real- Brian, it's Brad. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but uh, the corollary to your question, that I'm, the reason I raised my hand, sorry to jump in here, but what happens when they try to refill? We're not going through the bottom. What happens to yields? Anybody have an opinion on that? Because they, you know, we're all talking about fixed rates or fixed income, which is crucial. But aren't we about to see a big swing here after they resolve the debt ceiling and before we go into the shit? I think yields are going to crater. Yeah, I, th- Especially I agree with Mike. And, and- the two-year. And that's why I've been talking about the two-year since last year. 
and that that will be the trade. Yeah, you want to you want to loop us all in on your levered bet? How do we levered bet it? Well, everybody can do it, um, but I, I can't really talk about it without a sea of disclosures um, because it's through an ETF. Uh, I, if I were you, Brad, I would go to Simplify and yeah, I, I, review I, I, their, I, I, their, 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 their suite of ETFs. Might be like TUA or something like that. Thank you very much. I listened. Um, so I, I got two comments, Mike. Nor deny. <laughs> uh, so, Mike, I got two, two comments. Um, one is, so we, my firm represents... Um, about 90% of all the school districts in South Carolina. And in particular, our coastal clients, we are seeing massive increases in revenue. Um, um, I won't go into specific names, but I've got one. Uh, reassessment of properties is capped at 15% in the state, via state law. They're telling us that 75% of all properties in one of our um, school district counties is, is going to hit the max. So we are not seeing a decrease in tax receipts at now, all. What state is that again? Um, I'm sorry. South, South Carolina. Yeah, okay. I think you're, we're not you're one of the states anything. that's benefiting from migration in North Carolina. Correct. Carolina, Correct. Florida. Yeah, no, I just not did. Georgia. Um, and uh, yes. <laughs> so, yeah. So you're in a good spot. New Jersey? Uh, no. Yeah. So I took all the. Um, the IRS migration data, and I did a two-year um, look back, and then we used it for credit rating presentations. And we're seeing what we're looking for, and what we're finding out is, um, like Beaufort down where Hilton Head is, small amount of population increase, but the AGI figures are through the roof. So you're getting you're getting an influx of very wealthy people, and you're not having to put on a lot of new services to to you know, keep everyone happy, but then, but you go up to Myrtle Beach, and it's the exact opposite. You have a larger population increase, but the AGI is much smaller, yeah, all- and so yeah. you're not getting as much benefit. Yep. But the states that are getting crushed is California, New York, and then Illinois. The big winners in terms of the migration is Florida and Texas. But my concern on a credit side is that they're going to have to increase services, and so you really want to find the states that get benefit but don't have to yeah you know have a lot of pressure on the spend side. Well, all the migration states um, are like in a great situation because essentially all of those people migrating are non-medicaid they, they all have mm-hmm. money they all have jobs they all have resources to move and so what's getting mm-hmm. left behind in california and new york are all of the medicaid and that's as you know the biggest cost to every state is the medicaid population yep 100 percent. yeah so here's the here's the note from quill uh new this is uh may 16th i got this new york state's comptroller reported revenues are down approximately 40 percent approximately 8.1 percent of federal tax receipts come from new york state so that would imply a federal tax receipts are down 3.1% from New York alone. Mm-hmm. When Yellen is pulling pennies from the couch cushion cushions, it matters. Right. That was the response I got. Yeah, she's a very bright woman. She knows her stuff. So that's – um, I, I, I was taken aback by that. It's okay. Um, Mike, so you just said that 
I mean, obviously it's a market, you know, no one knows anything for certain, but you had a feeling that yields would uh, collapse, yes. right? So gold and, you know, TLT, I guess is a corollary for yields. Uh, gold and TLT have been positively correlated since the rate hiking cycle kind of started on and off. And dollar has been inversely correlated with that. So when yields go up, you know, dollar has been strengthening. Do you think that continues? Do you think dollar would um, go down with well, yields? Well, I always despise gold uh, just, just because there's so many other better places to put your money than gold. Um, you know, you're better off in the treasury trade because uh, it'll act rationally and there's not a sea of retail in there with a lot of leverage. And there's a sea of retail in gold with a lot of leverage. So when the shit hits the fan, gold goes down too. But treasuries will go up. So that's why I like treasuries more. And uh, on U.S. dollar, do you think that would trade down with yields? Well, normally it would. But I think we have a problem of everyone's short dollars. And that's been one of the reasons why. You know, people have been saying everyone's selling their treasuries. It's terrible. They don't want the dollar. And that's actually, no, I think they're they're doing it to get dollars. They have to convert to dollars and they're selling treasuries. So frequently what happens in a, a really, in, a, in the sort of problem that I think we're going to have is that at first the dollar goes up as the economy starts to run into problems. And then it goes down. It goes down with the, the response, right? The response to the, uh, the Fed to a, a real problem. And my issue is that I don't think the Fed is going to respond until we have jobless claims at five. And that's not going to happen until like the beginning of next year. So, you know, this whole argument that the Fed is going to instantly pivot and get rid of QT and start cutting rates, I think is, I, I believe is incredibly unlikely this year, maybe at the very end of the year, maybe, and probably not, but let's just say, and if they do, I'm going to be very, very, very worried for the future because now we're kind of stuck in a yield curve control environment that we really can't get out of. That's my biggest fear is that we don't actually get inflation out of the system before they pivot. And the way that you get inflation out of the system is that you have um, high inventories, capacity, slack and capacity utilization, and very loose labor markets. And you need all of them to actually get rid of inflation for a prolonged period of time. And that's going to be really hard to do, mostly for structural reasons. So I'm, I'm very worried about the next leg of what happens on the other side of the recession that's very likely coming, um, that they act too quickly. And then we get stuck in the situation where inflation comes back, roaring back by the end of next year. And now they're in this mess where we have a gigantic federal debt problem. We still have an ongoing commercial real estate problem. And we have wage growth and inflation. And of course, the, like the, the Fed is just absolutely screwed. Because remember, the, the 
the goal of the Fed, and burn this into your goddamn minds, the job of the Fed is to make the Treasury look solvent. And the Treasury is in serious shit right now. Because next year, they're going to be paying around $900 billion or so to pay for the coupons on the debt. And at that number, that, that number is as big as Medicare. That number is as big as the entire defense budget. So it's a huge number that is eating into all the spending the government likes to do. Remember, that spending is what drives our GDP for the past 10 years. So if they don't have that spending in place, meaning keep going into more and more and more debt, we are instantly in a recession. And so we could be in this instance where yields are high, confidence is lost very much in the dollar, the government can't spend, so we have a recession and high yields. And it's a whole different trade. It's like a year and a half maybe two years from now. But those are the things that I'm I'm thinking about how it plays out. So 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 Mike, this is kind of fortuitous, but on May eighteenth of last year I took notes on a call that you did where you defined the bottom. Ah. And it's been passed around a few times. And so I want to read the summary of the series of events and, and you kind of tell us where you think we are. So it starts with earnings recession, then margin compression, earnings revisions, redemptions, quantitative tightening, shrinking free cash flow, junk bond market goes blotto, company workouts, delayed bankruptcies, finally long opportunities. Yeah, we're we're now out of the pregame. Last year was the pregame. So we're we're yeah, now, we're yeah, now. Some of those, some some of those have happened in very minuscule uh, amounts, yes. right, Mike? But like, but but you're in reality, this uh, <clears throat> this process is really just started. Yeah. So, like for instance, and like I, this, I mentioned this, 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 this last bounce, night. This bounces, and this is an important sorry, feature no. to remember. Like everyone's commenting that the the defensives, you know, the staples are trading at very high multiples, and so is tech. And so everything's trading at high multiples and like things are good in okay in pockets and not good in others. And the reason why it was okay in the front half of this year, and I guess I kind of got this a little bit wrong, but it was, it was because they still had the pricing power residual from last year and all the input costs went down. So margins improved. And, and we've seen this across the board now of layoffs starting in order to keep margin. And they're getting rewarded for it where the stocks are going up on layoff announcements because margins are going to get better. But if you look at the staples and you look at the numbers that they put up, you're like, oh, this is fine. We're up, you know, three, four, five, six, seven percent year on year growth. Well, it's all pricing. If you look at the units that were actually utilized, it's negative, almost entirely across the board, negative units, and they're laying off people. So right after that happens, so that means that you have a demand problem. And r- what happens- Yes, yeah, so what- just from the numbers from this morning, yeah, Mike, just, just for everybody's sake, the numbers this morning, 29 out of 37, this is SP 500, 29 of 37 consumer staples companies have reported, sales growth is 
plus 5.63%. Earnings growth is minus 1.71%. In aggregate across the board, there's about uh, there's 476 that have report, out of 500 that have reported. Uh, sales growth of plus 4.37%. So those staples are above that, kind of like you know average growth, what have you. And then earnings um, on the S&P total, uh, the 476 of 500 is minus 3.36. So, uh, yeah, I mean, like you're seeing in, in the numbers, right, Mike? Um, and, and it's all and price. With that it's all price, line, though. Yeah, well, it, the, the top line looks good, but the bottom line... Um, and that's uh, why they're firing people. And it's... And, so they're firing people and starting to trim up. And all of them are saying that hiring freeze, not expanding, blah, blah, blah. It's because the unit growth is negative. And they know that they won't have pricing moving forward as pricing is going to go negative. So what happens moving forward is that you have margins drop because of pr- pricing is going to drop. And you're probably going to have negative unit growth so, and layoffs. And I mean, that's like, I don't see an alternative Unless we have another round of modern monetary theory, I don't see another alternative on the consumption side. So, so that's it. But so, if wage uh, growth continues to be so strong, right? Um, wouldn't that kind of feed into those strong margins? Yes, it would. Uh, but I believe that wage growth is going to begin its collapsing process as people get laid off everywhere. And you already see it. You see it in the Warren data, you know, for the announced layoffs. And all of this is like backward looking. Like the jobless claims that you see today are three, four, five, six months old, meaning that you got let go, you get your severance, you look for a job. And then when you can't find a job, you file unemployment. That's frequently how it goes. And that's why what you're seeing now is really old data. So if you start stacking up all the Department of Labor announcements of layoffs, and it just keeps growing, um, and then you just say, okay, we're going to actually see this in the data three to five months later. Well, we're there. You know, we're going to start seeing it right now. And that's what we are. We're seeing the jobless claims start to break out. Yeah, <clears throat> Army Joseph, our sector head, our technology sector head, who I, I know you know, uh, Mike. I mean, he, he mentioned something along these lines. Again, not not sp- specifically to what you're talking about, but just in terms of Apple's, um, they decreased their or they cut their um, indication of orders for the iPhone 15 that's coming out in the fall, and that's obviously a big deal. It's a lead product. You know, if you haven't listened to that portion of the call, I'd highly recommend everybody go do that. Um, but yeah, so it's, it, it, even again, and, and Ami's, one of Ami's points was, you know, Apple has a incredibly intricate, uh, like forecasting system and, you know, they have to deal with so many different vendors, all the kind of stuff. And, and for them to see the data that's flowing in and to, um, basically indicate back to their, um, manufacturing points, stuff like that. Uh, the I think it's like a thirty percent decrease of memory serve, so I have to go out and rewatch the, the clip myself. But um, that that it was a, it's a big number. I mean, it tells you kind of what one of the biggest. Obviously, I mean, Apple has had a market cap that's equal to all of the Russell two thousand. Uh, so it's it's not a small player out there. Yeah, and nobody cares either. Apple stock is you know at the highs like the other in the group. So yep, but but you know, I mean, part of the 
big reason why, in my view, is because the Treasury's been enacting quantitative easing. And that's what's that's what's really going on. And that's why we've seen this follow through and things that really shouldn't be followed through. Um, but that's OK. Like, we're here to make money. We're not here to be right. So, so <laughs> yeah, exactly. we just ask ourselves, when exactly. does this stop? It's going to stop sometime in June or July. Will it be abrupt? Yes. Will the, there be quantitative tightening right on the heels of that? Very likely. And and honestly, if we're going to have a recession sort of situation, uh, the, you know, this Biden administration definitely wants it to happen abrupt and hard over the next six, seven months, uh, starting now, so that we can be in a recovery for the elections. I think he's too late, and I think he probably blew every nut that he had. So, meaning that, you know, he's drawn that SPR down to nothing. And just kept going and going and going and going. I mean, this is a, in my view, um, probably the most sinister White House since uh, Nixon. In in that they just do not care about any rules or or anything. Um, it is simply get reelected, and that's all that matters. And they will go to any length and any distance to do it. So I Robert, just, I was going to say, oh, go ahead, Brian. Yeah, go ahead, Gavin. No, just, no, go ahead, buddy. I, I was just going to say, uh, based on what Mike was just saying, like it's all coming from the sales and the price side. Um, you know, just the big picture, and obviously Brian's been talking about this. You know, it's been a big two weeks of retail earnings, but the inventory problem. Uh, Brian, you were mentioning uh, Quill. I mean, Danielle called out today. Um, you know, the quantity of purchases index and the, and she's citing the inventory, uh, you know, correction that's going to need to happen. And so, like, when I just keep thinking, like, so if it's all been fueled, you know, on the price side, how do you fix an inventory problem? You know, I, I know some people are probably already just connecting that simple dot. But for some people, you know, maybe thinking about, well, they're going to have to take price down, you know, oh, yeah. that, that's what you're saying. Without Mike? a doubt, you have to. If you have old yeah. inventory, you got to take price down because they don't have unit growth demand. So it's all been price. And like, for instance, and I'll cite two examples I know of because I've been talking about it and watching it. GM trucks, they have over 100 days of inventory. Chrysler Stellantis, also over 100 days of inventory in trucks. And that's where they make all their money. And it's over 100 days of inventory. And everyone's like, I can't get a truck. Sure, you can you just don't like the price. So, and, and they're not able to move them. The, um, the average uh, interest rate for a used car right now is about 13%, 14%. How about that for awesome? Sounds attractive. Yeah. yeah. And we already see it like the, you know, the, the low end credit, um, you know, it, it, it's like, let's say 10, 12% of the market, like the revolving credit on that has just gone ballistic straight up. These people are, you know, the bottom end of the market is borrowing and starting every new credit card that they can um, in, be, in order to keep their lifestyle going. And they're at the very nitty gritty end of that right now. But it's the whippy end. And while they're doing that, and this is exactly what happened at the end of 07, is that is that uh, the utilization of credit went through the roof and everyone said that's bullish because people are confident enough to use their credit. 
And that's not what it actually means. It means that they don't have a choice. You know, it's rent, medicine, food, or default. You know, and this is, and we're we're entering that phase now. At the same time, that the jobless claims are starting to ramp. So, you know, this is all very, very classical end of cycle events, and the market usually doesn't see it um, because they're not allowed to see it. Right? It's always buy. So that's what you do. I mean, who the hell is going to tell you to sell? I mean, nobody. No, it's in, no one's so on, that on the sells. on on the buy piece, Mike. So, you know, we've got a lot of people that are listening in that they they um, they're benefiting in being in money markets right now, and they're concerned and and they're not playing in equities and they're just waiting. I mean, do you see do you see as we continue through the cycle still an unbelievable opportunity at the end if people? You'll keep their powder dry and, and just wait patiently. Look, I just talked to my um, developer guy on the West Coast this morning. And and we talked about the commercial properties that are coming up. And there are broken entities that have to get rid of crap. And we're right now buying a multi-unit piece of property for 60 cents on the dollar at 5% financing. And we're only using 60% debt. So it's like a very under-levered bet with good capacity right now, but we're doing it in a way that we're going to be fine no matter what. And it's like a class A plus new property that was literally built in the past three years. And it's a whole book of business that has to get done. And this is one of the last pieces of it. And they just need to get rid of it. And that's the example of the beginning of what's happening. So my point is, is that as the CRE problems accelerate, I think we're going to see a lot of, we, we very well will start seeing broken markets here and there. There will always be a place to make money. Like you'll always find a mania somewhere like NVIDIA or AI, whatever it's going to be, but there will be pockets of that. But overall, I, you know, we have a huge problem. Hi, Robert McGordy here, Director of Subscriber Development at Hedgeye. Join our entire research analyst team live before the market opens for deep dive investing analysis, our favorite stock ideas, and our risk manager in chief, Keith McCullough's macro overlay. Our team of 40 plus equity analysts discuss key market developments, trends, and our high conviction, long and short investing ideas. You will not get this granular level of insight anywhere else. A video replay, audio version, and analyst summary notes from the call are available shortly after each live show to ensure you don't miss anything. Go to hedgeye.com forward slash research to subscribe. And tune in live to the call weekdays at 7.45 a.m. Eastern. Enjoy the rest of this episode. So I really like the 5% okay. yield in money markets. I'll try to spin that in my mind as a glass half full answer. <laughs> it was it was good and bad, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying that 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 regionally there'll be great opportunities, but regionally there'll also be not so great. Yeah, there's going to be great opportunities. And, and on the other side of this, the problem is you have to get to the other side of it. So the fact that we found something so early in the cycle that is that attractive is pretty damn rare. And it's going to be like I think it's 15 percent of our fund that we're going to take down on this. And and I'm like, okay, 
that's fine. This is too good to pass up. But we're not touching shit until October, November, December. And he's like, absolutely. So, because we think we're going to get, you know, potentially broken markets. We should get broken markets, right? I mean, think about it. You got a third of the book of business of this is commercial real estate for all the regional banks. And there's like, you know, a thousand regional banks. It's probably more. Um, you know, and you're looking at this and I mean, I'm looking at what we're buying this for and they, they, their equity is wiped out on this. They're, they're, they're taking a loss on this. We're buying it at a loss for them. And if there is a bank involved, they're going to take a small loss, but that small loss. Just realize if a bank defaults on 3% of their business, the bank is over. Right. Right. And so you say, well, how many of these regional banks aren't going to be at the median of a third of their business being commercial? It'll be 48% is commercial. Well, let's say that's 20% 20 of the banks, you know, because it's always a distribution, you know, people a bit more, a bit less. So you basically have like a third of the regional banks that are going to be like potentially insolvent as this, you know, goes through as this bubble of uh, commercial real estate disasters go through the queue. And and it will be in Illinois, and it'll be California, and it'll be New York. And actually, that's the entities that I am short happen to be pretty focused on those states. And, and that's, you know, and that's it. And so what do you think, like, happens to lending when these banks, you know, clutch the pearls and go, oh, shit. So, well, I think you're seeing it like the last two days, PacWest had two pieces of news break, right? Like the first one was that they sold a portion of their loan portfolio. Well, they only sold the part, they sold the part that was, that was actually uh, probably bankable, um, which is not a good sign. And then they sold a division of their, of their lending. So they're obviously trying to raise cash for probably not a great reason. Oh, it's a horrible reason. And And they're selling the good stuff. Right, right. And so if they're doing it, and I think what you're saying is that there's yeah. it's just a domino effect until you reach the end of the cycle. Well, and you want to be first to sell because it, just like we're buying this property here, because I know that once there's 40 other banks selling similar assets at the same time, well, the price is going to go down. Right. <laughs> so that's what I I think we're looking at and it's going to be drawn out. You know, this nobody has can wait for these sort of things. It'll be drawn out. But but you know, slowly but surely it'll just creep and creep and creep and creep. So how Mike and I how I did it, I did a uh, a VIX um calendar call spread for June versus October because I figure something bad's got to happen by October. I don't know what it is, but something and so I did that, and I didn't pay a ton for it. But I have uh, I have VIX calls at twenty six that I think net net I paid a dollar for in October. So if we do get a VIX to thirty five, I'll get a nine to one payout. But now I don't have to worry about it so much, right? Right. So I paid like 4% for a 9 to 1 payout all the way out to October. That's what it looks like. 
So that's kind of like how I'm setting up a cu- couple oh shit, you know, moments that may happen. Because I, I think that by October, it'll be extremely clear. You know, we'll be into the quantitative tightening really heavily. The Fed will be saying, well, not yet, not yet. Jobless claims will be rising and companies will be whiffing. And that inventory will be sucked out and pricing will be down. So usually shit goes wrong when that happens. So that's my bet. I saw you tweeted out about um, PCT today. Oh, yeah, yeah. You wrote, it's a big deal. Can you can you describe what that oh, is? Oh, it, Dustin, it. Dustin, the CEO just did a little, um, a little uh, video about like, hey, guys, this is polypropylene. And um, it's in everything. People don't realize that. Polypropylene is one of the most heavily used plastics and PCT is going to go live on their recycling um, probably within the next three weeks. And as you know, um, the, the thought is uh, very suspect that uh, they'll be able to, um, to do it. You know, the thought is it's a fraud, you know, except that they built a plant. There's a lot easier frauds to do than this. Okay. <laughs> I mean, this is a really hard one to do if you want to do it. Um, so they'll be shipping product um, probably by the end of June uh, to clients. So it's a big deal because nobody knows what this is. Nobody realizes that the pricing is probably a lot better than they think uh, because the inelasticity of demand. The demand is very, very large for recycled polypropylene because nobody's done it. They're the only one. And they'll be the only one for as far as the eye can see. So it's a big deal. When you have white space, inelastic demand, pricing power, and IP like a moat that, uh, you know, you're, I mean, you know, it's, it's, and the pricing will be even better in Europe. So this is, if they're able to ramp capacity like we think they will over the next four months, you know, this goes from a, six dollar stock or seven dollar stock to well they'll see what happens when that you put the model together and that's what they'll be doing between now and september some people will start putting a model together and saying what i've never seen anything like it. well yeah it's rare this this these kind of things these opportunities only happen in my experience about once a decade that you can find something like this so you throw a throw AI on top of it, and it's. I know all we need magnified. is a little a little <laughs> chat uh, GBT there at the end of the line saying, "This polypropylene is good," and that's it. Hey, we have AI. <laughs> you know, you know it. Hey, Robert, I did have a question for you. So, on China, has Felix said anything about? I wasn't on the call this morning. Has he said anything about this whole China COVID? No stuff yet. <clears throat> no. Okay, I'll be. I'll. I'll watch. I'll, I'll watch what he puts out. He's still just getting through earnings, right, Robert? It's been yeah, busy. he had a big. He had a big presentation this afternoon that he's been prepping for. That's primarily what he. Uh, yeah, he quickly kind of passed the puck this morning or this morning on the call. But yeah, um, he's been going through earnings and then and then um, been working on some, you know, black books and stuff like that, Brian. So yeah. Is he okay? Um, well. Is he surprised how crappy like the recovery is actually looking out of China? Yeah. I, so he's been long story short, Michael, again, Mike, I, and I'm going to kind of probably do a poor job of summarizing this, but 
he's really been focusing more on the um, like reopening trade and the uh, really the luxury, like the luxury, the luxury goods and the kind of like high high end travel, right? So similar yep. to where you know we've seen, or, or really similar to what what you're seeing here in the U.S., right? In terms of the you know top percentile of the population is doing is doing well um and so yeah so that's, that's kind of where he's been focusing most of his his longs and is in that realm right so kind of uh yeah so but unfortunately i mean you're getting i mean the policy is dragging the whole space down well you know i mean in the past the way that china grew is they just built shit yeah yeah and and that one's really hard now because they have so much excess capacity and built shit. So exactly. if they're not going to do another, you know, build another universe, um, it's probably not going to work. No, no, exactly. So a lot of that stimulus that they're doing is just going to keep zombie companies alive and people, you know, keep their job. They just take bad debt and refinance it and bad debt and refinance it. And I mean, so, you know, China's been engaged in quantitative easing, de facto quantitative easing the entire time because bad debt never gets realized. It just gets extended pretend for everything. So it ends up being a lot like Japan, 1990. Uh, which, yeah, I can exactly see what Japan <clears throat> where they become the kingmakers, right? They tell all the corporates what to do, how to be run, and they basically give them money to stay alive, but not actually grow. And, um, yeah, I, my, my, uh, my view on the prospects for China are extremely dim over the next 10 years. Yeah, I, I mean, so we've been... Uh, so it was on the Nowcast model, it was uh, signaling um, Claude... I think it's quad one. It's back to quad four, I believe, at the moment. I, I should wow, that was up. Yeah, it took a 180. Uh, let me just, hold on, let me just make sure. Uh, let me not misspeak here, Mike. I don't want to misspeak, give misinformation. Um, yeah, I was pretty sure. I, I'm pretty intimate with this data, so I was pretty sure. But yeah, uh, so we had, uh, uh, so we got a quad one here in uh, Q2 is what the Nowcast model is forecasting. But then uh, rather than three quad ones in a row, we got a quad four back on the board for Q3. So coming out of basically back-to-back quad fours in Q4 and Q4, 22, Q1 and 23. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so I think that that component in the market sort of, you know, pricing pricing that in. And it's been really a uh, – Felix, our sector has done a phenomenal job in regards to – uh, you know, it's definitely been a stock pickers environment. You know, the winners have performed very well and losers have massively underperformed. And if you're just, you know, along the general market, um, and we, we haven't, you know, we got out a few weeks ago, probably three or four weeks ago at this point. Um, and so, yeah, so we haven't been long China ever since the kind of like the, the quad model, uh, updated with that, with that quad four on the, uh, on the board. Yeah. So we, we, we're out. Um, but obviously Felix still has some, some longs uh, on his page or inside of his uh, coverage universe and stuff like that. And I think, you know, they've definitely been, uh, as I mentioned, it's kind of high end, primarily high end consumer related. Um, and mm-hmm. on this call, I remember mentioning sort of a CHIQ, um, which is the consumer 
uh, you know, consumer piece inside of, or it's a consumer ETF, Chinese consumer ETF. Um, and that's been kind of hanging in, but obviously, you know, it's getting you know, similar to the rest of most of Chinese exposure, uh, not, not performing all that great. Uh, but you know, that, that component, um, anyway, but yeah, but my point is, is yeah. So the, the consumer certainly in a, in a better place than say, you know, the industrial component and, and, um, that kind of thing. And, and you're getting and that, that really is an add on effect in terms of the quad four environments that you're seeing, uh, you know, globally. So it, it does all kind of impact in the consumer, uh, weakening here in the U S and, and globally, et cetera, et cetera, just demand, all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, it's, it's all, it's all knock on. I mean, I think, you know, China definitely, it's going to be interesting how the, how the, really the rest of the year plays out, uh, to your point, Michael, there's a, there's a big, the policy plays a massive factor. Yeah, it's impossible to mop. As so like the yeah. whole the whole thing, like our our hedge analysis on predicting China is so incredibly difficult to do because it's a top down uh, dictate on you economy grow now, yeah. right? I mean, it's yeah. you know they just the issue is that I have with China is that if you look at ten years, so the, they already have I don't know seventy five eighty million vacant properties currently, right? That are just vacant 10 years from now the population will be 10 percent smaller and the age of the population will be unbelievably older so the worker population will be at least 10 percent smaller relative to the total population and 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 so you don't need like you look at the new family formation it's just not going to exist and so you don't need all these properties to begin with and the infrastructure. So they're really not going to build it. But you have to maintain all of what you built. And as you know and I know, it was all built like crap. And so now it's all cracking and fracturing and falling apart because they had no quality control on anything. So you're just going to have a whole bunch of guys with buckets of cement running around spackling crap. And that'll be everyone's job, which has no economic multiplier attached to it. And so, and and then, since government has taken over industry, innovation will absolutely come to a complete standstill. And we've seen this before. Every example of a command economy, you know, innovation will just grind to a halt, and the rest of the world will just continue on. And the whole name of the game over the next ten years is going to be the communists trying to clamp down harder and harder and harder on power on the people on controlling the narrative. And they have gotten to a point where they, you know, they own the news, they own the police, they own the police state, they have video cameras set up to track everyone's face. You know, you have a social credit system now where if you type something bad on a, on your text or something about the government that you no longer can leave your province, stuff like that, where it's just, you put all those things in place and you say, what does this look like 10 years from now? It looks like a gigantic hellhole. That's what it looks like. Tighter and tighter and tighter restrictions and and no exit. These people can't leave. They can't leave. They can't take their money and leave. They can't take they can't change into dollars. I mean, it was a completely captive population in a crumbling and what it will become is a crumbling nation. I mean, very much, very much like the Soviet Union, late 1980s. 
Don't forget to check out HedgeEye.com to get more actionable investing insights from our team of more than 40 research analysts. And check us out on Twitter at our handle, at HedgeEye. This presentation is informational only. None of the information contained herein constitutes an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security or investment vehicle, nor does it constitute investment recommendation or legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice by HedgeEye or any of its employees, officers, agents, or guests. This information is presented without regard for individual investment preferences or risk parameters and is general, non-tailored, non-specific information. This content is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. Hedge is not responsible for errors, inaccuracies, or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual expressing those opinions and conclusions and are intended solely for the use of Hedge subscribers and the authorized recipients of the content. All investments entail a certain degree of risk, and financial instrument prices can fluctuate based on several factors, including those not considered in the preparation of the content. Consult your financial professional before investing. The information contained herein is protected by United States and foreign copyright laws and is intended solely for the use of its authorized recipient. Access must be provided directly by Hedge Redistribution or republication is strictly prohibited. For more detail, please refer to the terms of service at hedgeye.com slash terms of service.